So we just finished up Genesis chapters 1 through 11. This is the prehistory just before the entrance of Abraham. We're going to take a few weeks to look at some topics uh, back into Genesis 1 through 11. And the one we're doing this week is this idea of the image of God. And there's three things that I wanted to hit on here. First of all, what is it? Why does it matter? And then finally, Jesus. Because remember, everything points back to him. All of Scripture, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament is pointing to the redemptive work of God in, in, in our world, uh, centered on the gospel, centered on Jesus. So first of all, let's go ahead and read our three uh, passages from Genesis uh, 1 through 11 that feature the image of God. Genesis 1, starting verse 26, it says, Then God said, it's part of the creation narrative, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in Genesis chapter 5, this is after the Cain and Abel instance. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So we've got a, a, a reminder of what God created. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And then after the flood, God said to Noah, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. God is setting the value of human beings. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man excuse me, in his own image. So here are some things that I've got a list here of things that the image of God what it is, so observations that I've made. And, and I'm going to come to the end of the list, and one of the things you guys can talk about is what's, what's some other observations about what the image of God is. So first of all, it's, we see that it's gender neutral. This is men and women are the image of God. Uh, and this is an unusual thing culturally. Um, most points in history, in fact, probably, I mean, the vast majority, I mean, is there any exception really? Uh, women have not been treated equal to men. Women have been treated um, oftentimes, and especially in other cultures, and especially back in the day, days, you know, the ancient history, uh, as objects, as something that, uh, you know, you, you uh, owned, like, like uh, you, you own cattle, you own livestock. It's like women were not equal to and as valuable as men, generally speaking. But here scripture is making it very clear that the image of God is both men and women. It's humans only. God loves all of his creation. He puts significant value on it. It's amazing. It declares his glory. It shows his creativity. But human beings have the image of God. Nothing else has the image of God, this special thing. Uh, human beings are the pinnacle of his creation. Uh, it's not just Adam and Eve. It is all of humanity that have the image of God. It is a like God idea. And you guys can discuss what that might mean and what are some of the broader ideas and pictures that we see of, uh, of God reflected in humanity. But aspects and character qualities, um, things, the attributes of God, 
he has given imprinted on humanity that are that are a reflection of who he is it's not something we grow into it's not something we lose so you don't you know it's like oh when they get to a certain age you know when you mature to a certain level then you now have the full image of god and if something happens to you later in life uh, your your mental decline, physical decline, whatever it might be, now you're less and less in the image of God. No, all people are in the image of God, and there's no partial aspect of it, which, which I got next. There's no partial, there's no incremental idea of the image of God. You you are made in the image of God. That is humanity. Um, humanity is put in charge as stewards of creation. So not only the pinnacle is creation, but the ones meant to rule as Stewards. In other words, and a steward isn't an owner. A steward is someone that's, that's given authority and responsibility by the owner. In other words, there's an expectation of God for us to garden in a way that preserves and embetters the creation. But that's part of the image of God that, that God's given us. A couple more. Uh, obviously, there's a measurable value. Uh, the value of the image of God is not measurable, and that image is on humanity therefore humanity's value is immeasurable every single person is immeasur- has immeasurable value and then also we see this idea of it being plural you know god said let us make them in our image and i think that's a we, humanity as a whole is reflecting the image of the triune god three persons in one god we have that same kind of picture within marriage. You have two people that become one. It's still two people, but it's one marriage. All of humanity, we are all one people, but there's every individual within it. So what other things can you think of? What else could you add to that list? That's something that you guys can discuss. So mankind is incredibly valuable. Is that, that value is based on the image of God. That's the basis of our value. So now I've got a list of what our value is not based on. The value of people is not based on things like our talent. The more talented you are, the more valuable you are. Now you might be more marketable by a business. You know, if you're an athlete, you get to sell Nike shoes and they pay you a lot of money because of your athleticism. But that isn't your intrinsic value. Your value is based on the image of God. So we can't value people based on their talent or not value people based on the lack of talent in a particular area. Same exact idea with beauty. Beauty is not a measurement of ultimate value. It's something that God has made and certainly is good. All these things are good things that God has made. But your value as a person is not based on beauty at all. Not based on our power. It's not based on our earning potential, how much money we can make. It's not based on your happiness. Like if I'm, if I'm not happy, does that mean that I am not valuable? You might not be enjoying life and you might be struggling and having difficulty. But that has no bearing whatsoever on your value as a human being. Or your success, what you've accomplished. Or your mental capacity, you know, your smarts. You could have somebody that could be the, the smartest person in the world, and they get into a, some kind of car accident, and then they become, you know, have the brain of a, of a toddler. Does that mean that they're now less valuable? Well, yeah, they're less marketable, and they, maybe they can't make as much money as they used to, but their value is not based on their mental capacity. 
you know, you see that here this phrase of a life worth living. You know, it's like because of this thing that's happened to me, my life is just not worth living. Or I can't imagine living through what they've lived through. That just is not a life worth living. Um, we hear this talk when it comes to people with disabilities. Like, well, okay, it's, it's probably better that we just, you know, abort that person before they even come into the world because their life is not worth living. It's like what an incredible statement to make. If you spend any time with people with disabilities, you, you, you realize that the image of God is still there. And you see the beauty and the incredible just value of people and how God uh, works through even somebody with significant disability. So the value in, in your opinion about somebody else's life or your opinion about your own life is, has nothing to do whatsoever with your value as a person, because your value as a person, their value as a person, is based on the fact that they were made in the image of God. That's the basis, the core basis of our value. And I'm not trying to minimize what you might be feeling or going through. But please know that God says you are valuable because you're made in his image. That's what makes you valuable, not what I think, what other people think, what our culture says otherwise, right? Or likability. And, and think about this one, too, in terms of how you interact with other people. Uh, if you don't like them, if they're not lovable, does that mean that I can treat them less than I would somebody that I like and I enjoy? I mean, we see favoritism all over the place, where essentially we give favoritism to people that will give things to us, and we avoid people that we don't like or they, you know, treat us the way we don't want to be treated or they're uncovered, whatever it might be. All of that is a basis that's objectifying people based on what value they can bring us versus their inherent value before God as human beings made in the image of God. Not based on what they do, but based on who they are made in the image of God. Huge. It's a big thing. And again, what else could you guys add, add to this list? Things that we, um, we maybe in our mind put value on people, peg value on people, uh, based on things other than the fact that they're made in the image of God. And then so how does it matter? How does the image of God matter to how I live my life? And I think we get a little bit of a clue here in James 3. He says, For every kind of beast and bird or reptile, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. He's talking about the power of the tongue and how the tongue is just like totally out of control. You can't tame the tongue. He says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison with it, we bless the Lord and Father. We praise God. And with our tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth that come blessing, cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. So I'm not just talking about uh, the sin of, of, of the words we use to hurt people, to curse people. I'm talking about all kinds of sin directed at individuals. One of the reasons why we don't want to do that, one of the reasons that Scripture says that that is bad is because that person that you're directing that sin at, maybe it's just unkindness, uh, maybe rudeness, um, you know, a selfish behavior, whatever it might be, keep in mind that you are doing that against a creature that is not like a dog or a cat or other things that God's given us, but this is a person made in the image of God. You are trampling on the most immeasurably valuable thing that there is, which is God. And I feel like that's something that should, should, should be at the forefront when you think about it. I mean, like, I, I think a common thing in our culture is just like we are so 
like one of the massive idols in our culture is sexuality. Um, you know, just take women. Like we objectify women all throughout our culture. We, we uh, the latest hot new actress, she hits Hollywood, has a bunch of movies, but as soon as she, her body starts to decline with time and age, she is thrown out with, for the next new woman. It's all about objectifying her for her beauty. We objectify women at Hollywood. We objectify women with pornography. We objectify women with adultery. We objectify women anytime we look at them with lust in our heart. We're saying that is an object that I can use for my benefit without care for her value as a human being before God. Like, and, and I think that you guys can discuss this, but how does the fact that the person that you're interacting with is made in the image of God, how should that impact the way that you treat them? That immeasurable value inherent in who they are as a person, how does that impact how you treat them? And then finally, leading to Jesus. Colossians has a couple of passages. Colossians 3, he says, See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And what we see here is that part of the work of the gospel in our life, where we are cooperating with him and I'm going to put off that old person and I'm going to put on more Jesus. I'm going to put off that old selfish person and put on more of that self-sacrificing person like Jesus. And, and, you know, that gospel work that God's doing in my life, part of that activity is the renewal of the image. In other words, God has designed us to be like him. And one of the ways that we reject that is through our sin. Because when we sin, we're saying, I don't want to be like you. I want to be like what I want. God, not what you want, but what I want. So first of all, we see that God's working through the gospel to make the image of us more, to redeem it, to renew it, to, to shape it back to be like Jesus. And then I love what he says at the beginning of Colossians. It says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the ultimate human being. Jesus is the ultimate human being. The one made in the image of God like no other is Jesus. Not just in who he is, but also in how he lived his life. He, he is the ultimate human being, and he lived as the ultimate human being. And look at what he says. There's just so many things, guys, in this passage that should lead us to worship Jesus. And it's just so many things. Maybe one of the things you guys can do in your group is just worship Jesus in prayer for the things that you see in this passage about who he is. Because there's so many things. I'm not going to hit them all, but let's just, just read through it. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by him, all things, whether visible or invisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Man, that, there's a lot of Genesis 1 right there. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of our church, not me. 
not Brian and Jeff and me. Jesus is the head of our church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. Firstborn from among the dead, man, guys, there's so many things that I could, I, I got to move on. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you were at one time strangers and enemies in your minds as expressed through evil deeds. Guys, so this is who Jesus is. This is who we were before Jesus. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body. Think about that. The image of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. The fullness of God, the image of the invisible God in his body went to the cross through death in order to present you holy, without blemish and blameless before him. And here's the how. So how does that work within my life? How do I get all that in my life? He says, if indeed you remain in the faith, established and firm without shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And this is not saying, guys, you got to make sure you stay a Christian because if you don't become a, you know, if you lose that, then you're gone. That's it. What he's saying, because we see later in Colossians chapter 2, he says to live as you first believed. I believe the very first time I put my faith in Jesus Christ as the one who died on the cross for my sins to redeem me back to himself. I first believe that. And then Colossians 2 says, keep every day believing that. Renew yourself in that truth. Remain in the truth of the gospel. It's not first base. It is home base. It is where you live as a Christian, the gospel. My hope is in Jesus, the gospel, he says, not in my performance. My hope isn't based on my happiness in my life or a life worth living. My hope isn't based in the success that I have, the popular, all, those kind of, all these other things, the good things that I've done, the bad things that I've avoided. My hope is in none of those things. My hope is in the gospel that you've heard. This gospel has also been preached in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become its servant. The image of God says that you are valuable beyond measure, every single human being, regardless of what your performance, regardless of what you do. You know, I don't want to get back into that. Remember that when you're interacting with people, you're interacting with a person that is made in the image of God. And to keep in mind that Jesus, he is the ultimate human being. We look to him as the one that is perfecting us and renewing us to make us more and more and more like him so that the image of God that he has put in us becomes redeemed and we become more and more. I think it's, it's, it's not you know, changed into something else. It's more and more of who we really are. We move out of confusion and darkness into reality, into life, you know, not into some kind of dreamscape. It's like we leave the nightmare into awakeness. We, we leave the darkness of confusion of night into the dawn of the new day and light and clarity because we're becoming more and more human through the work of Jesus in our life. And because he's doing that in your life, guys, remember to listen to him, respond, obey, follow him, and know that you are loved.